0: Stuck at Home with Cliff Dorfman and Jason
1: Smith Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman
0: Huzzah! Welcome Hello. to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman
1: And this guy. and me, Jason, trying to come at you from a, from a random computer that I found in my house Yes, Jason is in Total Recallville this, this
0: evening, he's like, he's like, uh, in more on, on, on Mars without a head, without a
1: helmet. Oh yeah. What's going like, on over there, man? Except my, like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Like my computer is fine. Like and all underwater. of a sudden, uh, well, I am talking to you from a, a laptop <laughs> that I found in my house because for some reason, the, it just decided to stop. It just decided to stop working. It said, Windows have a problem? going to crash. And then I rebooted it every single time. And then I tried to fix it using the repair tool. Now it doesn't. Nothing shows up on it at all. So, yeah, I'm coming at you from uh, random computer number four. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listen, we're here. So, so we're that's here. The, that's
0: the big. That's the big news, and it is a new week. So, I love hitting the ground running, and we have a great guest today. Uh, what we What did. I think is interesting about our guest today is is uh, I don't know what you watched uh, over this past few days off, but I watched a lot of stuff, and it seems like I and mean, we would to talk about everything we watch, right? I mean, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, as much as we can, right? But yeah. before we before we get into that, I, I think it's it's interesting because out of out of a lot of the things that I watch and the changing tide of what theatrical is nowadays, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you had. I mean, we'll talk about it with our guests, but really, it seems to me that horror seems to be the one genre that can be self contained and always kind of has been. Mm-hmm. and can
1: be shot in this time. I I agree. I was thinking the same thing. Like, if you're going to do anything with enclosed spaces, minimal number of people, use the mood and the, the ambiance of uh, not having anybody outside, horror's the way to go. Right, and that movie came out
0: this uh, weekend from Australia, The the uh, Relic, which right. we're going to talk about w- with our guest. Uh, <laughs> but it seems like, again, you have, I mean, first of all, I'll watch anything with Emily Mortimer. Um, mm-hmm. Even if, you know, They're supposed to. uh, I'm going to save it for the guests, but which I I, I love the movie. But again, it's three, four people. You got a couple of people coming in and out, but you're Mm -hmm. staying at that house. You're at a police station and you're in the backyard. You know, you're you're in the wilderness. Uh, You can go shoot that right now
1: with with all of these uh, uh, precautions in place. Right. Absolutely. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, the 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 interesting part of all this. I think that if you wanted to, you could come out with something really interesting. Like this is the time to create your individual horror series, right? Yes. By the way, and, and it comes off of, you know, Dylan uh, Riley just posted
0: about this now. And, you know, we don't usually do news, but this is kind of humanity stuff, which is California is now imposing the state. Uh, what does he say? Sweeping statewide rollback of its reopening.
1: Sweeping statewide rollback roll back mm-hmm. so it's like a recall yeah and, and those three words together only are awesome if they're related to walmart's prices right <laughs> or the mcrib <laughs> exactly we're gonna roll right. back the mcrib <laughs> yeah we're rolling back
0: the mcrib and keeping it forever <laughs> right uh, but uh, moving uh, moving to close all bars and outdoor stuff uh, and yep. indoor dining. Oh wait, so now I can't go indoors anymore. And so now it's only takeout as of today.
1: It's, it's only takeout or you can they can do outdoor dining.
0: These poor restaurant
1: owners. I know. Yeah. This no is this
0: is this is horrible leadership. I don't want to talk about politics. I want to talk I just say
1: leadership wise I don't see how we're doing a good job. No. No, and I think that that's the general consensus right now that uh you know, New York is at zero. They had zero deaths reported yesterday. Um, we are not there in California anymore.
0: Thank God for that. New York is there. That's where my parents are. I mean, but this is exactly the timing when we talk about containment. And yeah. you know, uh, you know, for us, we don't have to change the name of our show. But you no, know, no. I nor do I think we ever will. By the way, right? I, I mean, this is the new dawn. Bubble dawn. Well, I think it's the new dawn, the dawn of the new age. This is the new age of. Of, of most people working at home, most people have found out they don't need offices.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: I mean, you know, so, so why are we paying rent? Why are we going in? Where does the economy fall and how do people go out and see movies? Is that a thing anymore?
1: Yeah, no. And I think that's a good conversation to have with our guests too, because it's definitely something I've been thinking about and also thinking about the types of movies that are coming out while we're out, you know, Um, between Relic, which just came out that we'll talk about and even Palm Springs or The Old Guard. Would these movies make it out into the theaters? Are they great? Are they good movies? I think Relic is honestly a really good movie. We'll get into that one. Um, and I thought Palm Springs was good. But would Palm Springs would have been good as a theatrical? I don't know. So those are the questions I have, really. Um, and Palm Springs was supposed to be theatrical. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't either. But this is all very Hulu interesting. Only, so. But it's, you know, that's, that's my question. Um, yep. One thing I was going to bring up, just as you were talking about, you know, in all movies where it's in the future, one of the jokes is that, like, Sex never happens with direct intercourse. I remember the first movie I remember seeing that in was a uh, demolition man when Sandra Bullock and Sylvester Stallone are going to do it. But they have to do it through VR helmets because touching is icky and and fluid. They call it fluid exchange. Right. Oh, and they like, did gross, that in Sleeper, too,
0: with Woody Allen. Woody yeah. Allen Sleeper. They did the same thing. He's like, Sleep. well,
1: don't you want to touch They're like foreplay? Ew. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, uh, just put this uh, mask on. In Future Man, they called it a going rat hole to rat hole when they kissed. It was so <laughs> gross, right? All movies in the future right. talk about how it's disgusting for people to touch. We're right. we're there. We're getting there. We're gonna it's rat hole to rat Ooh, hole now. Good. It's gonna be corona mouth to corona mouth. Oh, that's a hell of an observation. I don't know that it's very smart. Um, so that's
0: it, huh? No more unless you're married, you gotta tell you know you're out of living. That's it. No more yeah. sex
1: no more fluid exchange. You can just have to, we're going to have to figure out different ways to do it.
0: No, no, there is no, there's no, there's no different way. I know.
1: Not when you sat first class. <laughs> Fair enough. When you've already Fair sat enough. first class, you can't go back to coach. Yeah, no, I know that's what I'm saying, but that's the future. These, uh, the gen, the gen Z minuses, whatever's next are going to be like, mm, nah, we're going to do it this way. <laughs> we're to- By the way, yeah, people are like Cliff, how have you never been to London? I'm like, I'll
0: get there when I can afford British Airways First Class upstairs, sleeping cabin. Until then, I will wait. That's all, because I've sat first class. I know what those things are, man.
1: You have a room. If I'm going to go to Australia,
0: it's on fucking Qantas upstairs.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep, it's All right, so on, yeah, on let's get back. So anyway, get, let's get back. Yeah, right. let's get back.
0: Yeah. we're luck, very lucky to have this guy. Our guest today is Phil Noble, and he is the editor in chief of Fangoria, which I don't know. If you don't know Fangoria, I, I can't even imagine why you'd be watching our show. I mean, like you're under a rock, you're in a vacuum. Fangoria. And and he's gonna talk to us about relic and everything else we've been talking about just now. So, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, let's get him
2: on Phil Noble. Hey, hey guys. Yeah. What's hey happening? Phil, how you
0: doing? Thanks for being here.
2: Uh it was good. Good. Thanks for having me. I was listening to your conversation about travel and whatnot, and I was excited to jump in because uh yeah, it's all different now, isn't it? Um, oh it is. Wait, let me make a correction. <laughs> Phil Noble Jr. Noble if you want to be correcting yourself, but uh yeah. Oh, I sure. do want
0: to be correcting myself. No okay, so like, mo- right. like Batmobile. Nobile. There you go. I love it. You see, but by the way, Phil, you should only the best guests' names do I get wrong. It happens like hey. one out of every four, and it's uh, not to say We love all of them. Well, it. but I mostly get names wrong. I'm very it's good. All good. Phil Nobile
2: Junior. It's, Jr. it's made up if you listen to my grandparents' story, but you know, whatever. Uh, uh, you know, they changed it at uh, at Ellis yeah, Island. It at Ratio, and then it was something else. Um, yeah. So I <laughs> love it.
0: Okay, so let's just talk a little before we jump into everything. How do you end up at at Fangoria? Because this is a hell of a job. I mean, yeah, amazing well, way to spend your life.
2: Well, it's only been the last two years. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a I was a producer of nonfiction television projects before that, and uh, I was writing on the internet for fun. I was writing reviews for on a, on a site called Birth, Movies, Death, and I would I would write about you know whatever struck me. It was a lot of James mm-hmm. Bond stuff, but it was also a lot of horror stuff. And uh, I caught the eye of a guy who produced a movie called Bone Tomahawk, and he.
0: One of my favorites, with, with David Arquette in it as well, who made one of my favorite <laughs> horror movies called The Tripper. Please continue.
2: There you go. Um, and Dallas uh, bought Fangoria in 2018 and um, went through a list of potential editors. And oh. when they all said no, he hired me.
0: That's there so interesting. The producer yeah. of Bone Tomahawk bought Fangoria.
2: Yeah, that was in 2018. I don't, know how, I don't know how up to speed you are in current events, but uh, he's selling Not it all. now. Oh, he's selling yeah, not it. At so. all. I haven't watched the news in seven years, Phil. Cool, cool. He's selling the magazine. <laughs> uh, I'm currently on hiatus and, uh, you know, waiting to see if the new owner has a plan that includes me. We'll see what happens. Oh, it definitely does. Otherwise, you can
0: do something else great. So let, yeah. let's first talk about this Australian import that came out this weekend, Relic.
2: Relic. Yes. Um, I'm What'd a big fan of Relic. I, I think um I think so often horror movies are not about anything. So that when you get one that is about something, I, I get a little overexcited. So when there's some <laughs> some real on the nose allegory like there is in duck or Hereditary, where hereditary is a, hereditary is about like the guilt of a uh a, a intergenerational relationship between a mother and daughter. Of course it's about Satanism and and ghosts and shit too, but you know, there's, there's all of this (laughs) subtext in there that you can non and, um, and relic is full of that stuff. And I really, really uh, I was, I was enjoying it on a surface level. And then the last third of it really just sucker punched me in, in terms of like where it went emotionally and how it ended up being something about uh, uh, elder care, about how we, what we do with our, our, our older uh, relatives and how we need to respect them and honor them or how we fail them, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, and it was just a really unexpectedly emotional experience for me. And I think that Natalie Erica James is somebody to watch. She's not even 30. And it's, this is her first feature. And it's it's a real impressive debut, I think.
0: That's the the granddaughter, right? I mean, she's... Uh, uh, no, that's the director. Oh, wait, that's who you're talking about as the director? Oh, my God. Yeah. She, this is her first... Feature? I first did not feature. know that. I mm-hmm. literally watched this today before our interview. And so all I knew going into it was like, I have to watch this, and yeah. I want to see if I like it. And yeah. I, I finished it right before our our talk. Oh, gosh. So I'm, I'm like,
2: uh. What so did you I'm think?
0: Like, oh, I mean, listen, first of all, I'll start anything with Emily Mortimer. Uh, okay. And I'll start with what I, what I did not like, which is, is really one thing. Um, the fact that Emily was English and everyone else is Australian. I always have a problem with I didn't get that. Right. Exactly. I always have the S. Jason will tell you. I have a problem with accents. I I like things to be especially when you set a world. The the person who directed this, this woman, she set a world that is so real and and macabre and Mm -hmm. grisly. And I think the Australians have a wonderful handle on that. One of my favorites is Wolf Creek. Mm. So these, these you know, outdoor, slightly indoor shack contained three, four person, you know, taught family or friendship dramas are what really get me. So I was not only blown away, but then I started thinking about black mold and the metaphor. And and then all these people in, in the country were going through uh, their parents having Alzheimer's and early onset dementia. Mm-hmm. And and how easy it is to mistake these signs for, you know, is it something supernatural?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I love the metaphor of it. I I love the the way it was. um, You know, the 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 emotions were all authentic. What you go through when you have a relative who's going through that stuff. There's uh, uncertainty. There's fear. There's anger. I mean, she's pissed off at her for parts of it, and and she's like, and, and it's almost like a physical threat because you know a, a, a relative is losing their faculties, but is still more or less able bodied can be a physical threat to you. Uh, that's a real thing. She hurt
0: her, yeah. She hurt yeah. her a few times, even when she was trying to help her, and and that mm-hmm. moment sort of at, at, towards the end of Act Two, or yeah, towards the end of Act Two, where, where Emily hugs her, you know, and it's like, "I love you, mom. I'm sorry, I haven't been there." And it's like that yeah.
2: just—I
0: mean, to me, that's why you make a movie.
2: Yeah i don't know how into spoilers we want to get but you know the we, we don't the, do spoilers so you can say anything you, don't do. you want here oh so we spoil it well yeah, just, we spoil I, all right well i mean I'll, I'll i'll tread lightly but i just i just think that the the emotional twist that came at the end of that 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 you are still attached to this thing that is not this person that is not the person you knew anymore Right, it's literally a different person anymore. That's um, that's that's at the heart of the fly. You know, the transformation metaphor of the fly. Hey, David (laughs) Cronenberg. Yeah, one of my one of the best. Right there. Let's see what you got. Right, right there. There you go. Beautiful. It glows in the dark. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) amazing when when you can when you can make a horror film and the emotions are authentic. Then I think the audience will buy anything plot wise, because it all it all it all clicks. It all connects. And I think it's just a really special debut. Uh, I think I think she's going to be a director to watch. I hope she doesn't uh, flee horror the way Jennifer Kent, her Australian uh, colleague mm-hmm. who did The Babadook, did. Yeah. But you know, because um, well, when, when it was one of the coolest things when Jordan Peele, after he had the success of Get Out, and they said, well, "What are you going to do next?" He said, "I'm going to make another horror movie." You know, it, it's we always it, it, we we lose our great filmmakers sometimes because they decide they that the genre is uh, beneath them at some point. And yeah, the thing they do the best,
0: you know, let's per se is the thing they want to, you know, oh no, I want to do this the best now. It's like, listen, it's yes. very, very difficult to make a good horror film. It is almost, I mean, I feel like great horror films are in such a limited category. So when you make mm-hmm. something that's great, that can be timeless, that can stand alone, that involves family, you know, stay with
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> stay and, with it. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I think I think the other gift of the film is that uh, a lost art that's maybe hopefully coming back is a, 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 a movie that's under 90 minutes. I love a tight 85 minute movie. Oh,
0: one of my favorites. One and of my favorites. I'm guilty of the two hour and 21 minute movie. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been a part of them, but yeah, I could not tell you, you know, and of course, when you're in them, you go, there's no way I can make this for less than two hours and 21 minutes. Yeah. But a good 85 minute movie is
2: like great mm-hmm. pizza because because it's got a, it's got a dna to like g- classic exploitation and this ties to what you're talking about before i came in about how mm-hmm. horror movies seem to be the ones that are are uh soaring right now in this weird uncertain sort of new economy model of how do we make this work and um yes. you know the, the classic drive-in movies the classic exploitation movies were 85 minutes because you had to fit two of them in so i love i love that return i just love the history of, of a tight little exploitation flick
0: well, well, not only is what you're saying 100% true and giving us some very interesting uh, cinema history, but but also w- what's interesting, and let's talk about this, because Blumhouse just announced, right, they're, they're, they're pushing their whole theatrical slate to like 2021 or something?
2: Well, um, yeah. Blumhouse? Blumhouse, yeah. See, I always get it wrong. That's okay. Um, I'm in good company. <laughs> you're you right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very nervous because uh, although it's not a Blumhouse film, Candyman got pushed like two weeks and this is what they mm-hmm. did with Christopher Nolan, too, with Tenet. They were they were two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. And I don't know who they're fooling or what the, who that's serving <laughs> when you keep kicking it two weeks down the road. You know, I'm a big Bond fan. And, like, they were the first ones yeah. to go November. <laughs> I had t- that's it. I had we're not even messing around. <laughs> I had tickets to London to see it a week early and it all went away um and and, uh you know sorry yeah hey it's rough but so so when that was the baseline that was the first they were the first folks to make that move and to watch all these other guys do this two-week thing i don't know what that does for your hype i don't know what that does for your marketing uh and i'm worried that personal thing like they feel like well we can do it in two weeks let's just let's just have hope it's like no it's just we're not doing that and you know go ahead well, you, you guys were talking about how horror is seeming to make it work. Horror is a lower risk because The Hunt, or even Invisible Man, or even uh, or uh, Candyman, and and Blumhouse; these are ten to twenty million dollar movies. You could, worst case scenario, drop these on VOD for twenty bucks and and do a comparable business to what you would have done in a crowded theatrical marketplace already. It's different now. If they can get a movie yes. theater open and 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 Blumhouse can drop a movie, it's it's going to have almost no competition. It's gonna it's gonna get all the eyeballs. Um, mm-hmm. But Tenant, No Time to Die, these are two hundred million dollar movies. So they don't they not only have to worry right. about it, are the theaters going to be open, they have to worry about who's going to what's how full are those theaters going to be if they're open. I'm not well, I'm not going. I'm not going well, in let's September. Give
0: our some context though because when you say a $200 million no, I'm not going
2: either by the way. I agree with you,
0: Phil. But when yeah. you say a $200 million movie, right, versus a $20 million movie. Let's just give our listeners some context which is in a $200 million movie, you have $200 million of P&A, printed advertising. You're you're putting forth. So a $20 million movie, you know, the risk is so much less. You only have 20 million. So double your budget, right? That's mm-hmm. pretty much still the formula.
2: Uh, as far as I know, I'm not an industry right. wizard, but yeah, I, I I know that you know um, certain certain past a certain price, these tentpole movies, Wonder Woman keeps getting pushed. Tenet, No Time to Die, they they need all the theaters in the world to be open because they can't they can't do a rolling release. They can't just release it in China. Because then piracy is going to take a giant bite out of their their back end, so they're all still trying to figure it out. And and, you know, we we are—it's a cliche, but this is an unprecedented time. No one really knows what to do next or how this is going to work. I mean, it
0: really is. uh, With Invisible Man, you brought up Uh, so mm -hmm. Invisible Man does sixty-five million in uh, or so, right? Which is amazing in theatrical, and then we get shut down. Right. Right. I'm pretty sure. Let me look at my notes, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Sixty five million in theatrical and it gets shut down and then they go to twenty dollar VOD. So are they even making more than they would have made if that theatrical stayed open?
2: It's possible. There's there's other things to consider is that, like, I I think a a VOD movie, if if an invisible man and I don't know what is comparable in right now in July, but if invisible man, an invisible man level film dropped now on vod for 20 bucks how much more starved are we for something new than we were in march right yeah i think it I'm would saying. be an even bigger bite of of uh of uh, revenue i and i think what the, what we're maybe gonna see or maybe this is just wishful thinking on my part because i'm <laughs> jones in for that bond movie maybe yeah, we're yeah. gonna see some kind of 50 experiment for a brand new blockbuster if they can't get a movie open 50 bucks a household yeah I've i would pay 50 for bucks for certain movies
0: I've been preaching this for a while. There's even when theaters were open, I've been saying the little black box in the stu- in the uh, hotels where you get the movies that are still in the theaters, and you're paying $30, 40 bucks for them. Yeah, give me that at my house. I don't know that I go to a theater except for mm-hmm. really big ones. Yeah. Um, so horror movies, do you think it's important that they're watched in the theater, or do you think they're even better at home?
2: Uh, I think in a in a great theater they're great, right? right. So, but we then we have to get into the idea of like. Uh, what what was, you know, we're all pining to get out, but we have to remember that, by and large, the theatrical experience was diminishing in a lot of the big chain theaters. The draft house is great, you know, Nighthawk mm-hmm. Cinema in Brooklyn, great, but your average AMC or Regals, I kind of dreaded seeing a movie I was excited about in a theater, because I knew that the experience was going to be compromised through dim projection, noisy patrons, blown-out speakers that had, had a Fast and Furious sequel too many sent through them uh without anybody recalibrating them you know it's just real muddy blurry fun um yeah, so you know I don't want to be the grouchy old man I, I love a great theatrical experience but I have in recent years found them to be scarce so I'm with you
0: and and that that scares me a little which is why I keep talking about this and I look at something like Blumhouse put out uh Fantasy Island and that 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 tanked right that only does 25 or something million so what was it gonna is gonna that mean? really Right. Well, well, they they broke the genre. Like, Fantasy Island is not a not a not a horror movie. So, when you're trying to make it, is it just ironic? I didn't know what. Like, that, I feel like it's the only one they missed the mark on.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a weird example because it's it's uh, it was it was some kind of weird horror reboot of a very well known property, right. and it just got caught up in those gears and, and, and chewed up. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't know. But uh, so there is something to, to be said about a horror movie is not a grand spectacle. Generally, it's usually a more intimate, intense experience. So at home, it's not as diminished. It's not as harmed, I would say. Right. And, and as you mentioned, relic is, it's like a single location. And I think that was just serendipity. And I wrote about it in the last Fango about how, uh, it was interesting that the big, the only new releases that were happening in horror during this pandemic were these housebound thrillers, uh, Dave Franco's yeah. the, the rentals, like an Airbnb kind of situation. And, uh, Yes. Uh you sh- I think you sh- or you should have left or I think you should yeah.
0: The you Kevin Bacon left. one.
2: The Kevin Bacon one. Oh
0: yes, yes, I have to watch that. Is that good?
2: I have not heard anything good about it and I haven't I seen know, it I know that's myself, the thing.
0: But... I haven't heard anything either and I kind of feel like I want to watch it but yeah. You know, and and Palm Springs,
2: have you seen this? Palm Springs. <laughs> not yet. I've heard great things about it and I'm excited to watch it. It's fantastic. But
0: again, you know, it's a a I've been going to this place for 30 years the twenty nine Palms inn uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Joshua tree uh, but they call it something else they have a little fake name outside and okay. the whole thing is there and in the desert I mean they uh, that's it it's it's uh, I think we're gonna see a push towards this more more and more in in what we're looking at but then we have what's uh, Lee one who directed Invisible Man now is directing uh, or supposed to direct Ryan Gosling and Wolfman yeah do they go out and shoot that? Is that like, you know, like What? How, how are these things going to work now? It blows you know, that's mind I interesting. I want to
2: see that movie. I was just watching a behind-the-scenes thing on The Mandalorian, and I watched I watched all of The Mandalorian, then I went back and watched this stuff. The things that they're doing that are set-bound, where they're—it's not even green screen anymore. They're projecting a set onto, like, these giant LED 360s Sykes. Wow. And— they're they're shooting the whole thing in studio and you're watching these vast desert landscapes and stuff i think that technology is going to explode in in uh the near future in terms of trying to shoot things in a contained environment and keep things as safe as you can keep them um it had had in the middle
0: of paris uh you know in a city street and be in a sound stage on the lot.
2: yeah and and so they they project it and they set it all up and and then it's and then it's motion. I'm gonna get this wrong, but it's motion control to the camera. So if you're pointing the camera this way, right. and I've got this background, you're great. But then if I pivot the the computer and the camera know to change the perspective of the background being projected, it's really insane. So that you're getting a full wow. 360 background that's wow. all virtual. That could literally change the face of,
0: of, of movie making.
2: And it might be the secret ingredient to kind of being able to shoot pandemic safe footage uh without, you know, dragging your crew out to wherever else but who knows. Well, yeah, if I can keep everyone in one sound stage and project
0: any location I want mm-hmm. the world, outside, interior, or exterior, I-, I mean other than ambient noise, I don't know how that's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I-
2: I'm kind of blown away by that. That was on the extras in the Mandalorian. So there's like a there's a series if you aren't Disney Plus, there's a series whose name I'm not going to remember, but it's just basically <laughs> a multi-part behind-the-scenes thing about Mandalorian. I mean, that's... Yeah, check it out.
0: That's really incredible. Okay, I'm going to check that out. So so what do you think about this Wolfman movie, though? I mean, have you heard anything, you know, as far as uh, good, bad? I mean, Ryan Gosling's a big get.
2: Yeah, I, I, I... I... I had some very cynical thoughts about it because Ryan Gosling, although he's apparently a big horror fan, I said, I just can't imagine him looking anything but embarrassed in a bunch of werewolf makeup. <laughs> he just seems like a humorless kind of dude, but I guess that's not true, and he's a big horror fan, so I want to give him the credit. And, you know, the idea of Lee Wannell directing it after Invisible Man, I've got all the faith in the world. I'm excited to see what that take is.
0: Right, because, I mean, the last one we had was Wolf with Jack Nicholson, I think. Which I enjoyed. and I too. Uh, It was Mike Nichols directing
2: it. Yes, yeah, and I think it's sort of a weirdly forgotten movie. And I was talking about it on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and then I Michelle went and looked. Pfeiffer. It. Yes, Michelle Pfeiffer, James Spader, and oh, yes. uh, and you know they went. And Rick Baker did the Wolfman makeup there, and it was a very uh, Henry Hall Werewolf of London. You could still kind of identify the actor in it. I thought that was a, a really interesting take that kind of had just fallen through the cracks of, I guess, what I call the digital divide because it wasn't stre- it's not streaming anywhere. So if it's not streaming anywhere, Weird. no one under thirty even knows it exists.
1: <laughs> right, That's and the what new. About
2: it? That's the new thing. Is that if it's not streaming, the movie for free. Didn't happen. Oh, for yeah. free. If it's, if it's not, oh, okay. and it's not. Yeah, and it's not streaming anywhere. You know, you can extra forget it. But if, if it's not, you know, on Hulu or Netflix, and they can just click it, it doesn't get watched by a certain generation.
0: Right. So that's it. It's gone into the uh, you know the discount bin, the archives. It's over. I and mean, that's abyss. really sad. Yeah. The yeah. abyss, that, which is another great movie. Hopefully, that <laughs> they can click on and then watch James Cameron's work. There um, you go. <laughs> okay. So, let me ask you this: You have a top five horror films?
2: Oh God! All right, I hate lists, and I okay, hate, So let's not do I a hate, hate rankings. Well, give me a few.
0: Okay, so let me rephrase then. If you hate lists and rankings, what are some of the like? If someone says to you, "Hey Phil, wh- wh- horrors, sure. what do I watch? What are the easy go-to's that you give them right away?" Sure.
2: Uh, if if you're, you know, I think I could probably like skim a decade or something and then find <laughs> stuff from there. Um, yeah, I know. There's a lot. I, I think without reservation, I can say that I think get out. It was the most seismic film since the exorcist in terms of pop culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's a massive, massive shift in uh, respectability and legitimacy for the genre. I think it's, it's the reason we're enjoying uh, the current resurgence that we are right now. I think, uh, and when the historians look back at this in 50 years, they're going to see that as a real fork in the road. And I think uh, uh, yeah. we were lucky to get it. Um, it's not like, like I put it on every day or anything like that, but um, You know, I I, I do think that history will reveal this.
0: It drew a line in the sand and said, now you're absolutely right. You know what? I'm just going to repeat what you said, everything you said, (laughs) because I I can't say it better. Um, Um, All right. So that one. And you said The Exorcist, which I think 100 percent goes up there. Uh, You know what else I put up there, though? The Omen,
2: the original. The Omen, I've not I've not revisited in so many years that I can't weigh in on it. But uh, Gregory Peck, though. That's what it's, I'm it's, saying. it's an iconic film for sure. I think the to circle back to your Exorcist one, what is amazing about The Exorcist, which I always tell folks, is that you can you can come at it in different decades of your life and, and it will mean a different thing to you. You can watch it as a kid and identify with mm. the plight of Reagan where she's this helpless thing being poked and prodded before the demon stuff even gets into it. The idea of being a powerless little kid is very relatable to anybody who's had a childhood. Uh, <laughs> you can come at it from the point of view of the, the parent where something's wrong with your kid and people aren't listening to you and you're trying to get your kid, you're trying to be an advocate for that kid's wellness and hitting red tape and problems all all along the way. I think that's a very resonant film in that regard. The one that it hits me at the most is father Karis, who's uh, his mother dies and his faith is shaken to its core. And he's questioning his entire existence and every decision that he's made. He's literally told at one point in the, in the film that if he didn't, Choose the path he chose. If he didn't become a priest, he could have been a wealthy psychologist and his mother wouldn't have died alone in a sanitarium. Like there,
0: There's all that yeah, I, guilt. I'm Which, just thinking about it now. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. His, he was always going to end the way he ended in that movie. <laughs> That's oh, sure. Well, oh.
2: Yeah. Um, but I think The Exorcist is such a layered film. And there's this weird trend now where people are saying The Exorcist 3 is better than The Exorcist. I can't get on board with that train. No, I'm not I on cannot. train
0: at um, all. Uh, Jason put up The Shining.
2: The Shining. The Shining yeah. is a, a, a classic. I think The Shining is is a is more of an exercise in style than any kind of visceral experience for me. I have to say, I can it sit there and appreciate you. The Shining. It didn't.
0: Okay, yeah, the first time you saw it, it did not scare you.
2: I don't think it did. No, it mm-hmm. was just it was so measured, and and I love the craft of The Shining, and I love the filmmaking of The Shining, and I appreciate it on that level. But it, I don't think it like rattled me. Um, a film, a film that I think does the opposite of that is the original texas chainsaw massacre where i feel no craft i feel no sense of safety and i feel no sense of artifice when i watch it it is just
0: agree more with you a hundred percent it's just raw and and scary
2: it's very primal it's very terrifying and and when you watch it as a grown up and who's someone who knows a little bit about filmmaking, you can see the craft there. Finally, it's not I mean, I think it's it's erroneously credited as having this sort of verite accidentally good sort of reputation. It is not. It is. A, well, tell knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, he said that is a blueprint if you look at it. And I think, you know, uh, there's someone who upped that blueprint to me is Rob Zombie and the Devil's Rejects. Hmm. You know, I thought that was just interesting in the sense that it was raw. I didn't feel any safety in that hotel room. Again, contained boyfriend, girlfriend, or family. And that, that seems to be all the things we're talking about over and over, whether it's The Shining, whether it's The Exorcist, whether it's mm-hmm. Relic. It's contained yeah. family. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Someone asked, actually, one of our listeners asked, what do you think would be a good uh, intro into horror for someone who's like, oh, I don't like horror.
2: I don't usually watch horror? Like, what's a good gateway drug? Gosh, it's, it's tough because, like, I would have to ask what's been keeping them from horror. Right. So then how would I navigate, how would I navigate that (laughs) roadblock the best way? Like, is that somebody who would be open to seeing a sort of arch kind of very funny and amusing, uh, uh, like Bride of Frankenstein where people don't, people think that these movies are very old fashioned and primitive. Bride of Frankenstein is fucking funny and it's very well crafted and it's super gay. Like it's, it's, uh, yes, it's, it's got a lot of flourishes in it that you wouldn't expect. Um, I think, if if uh, if the if gore is keeping them away from horror, then I would try to find some kind of way ar- around that. You know, like Halloween right, is, is not psychological, a psychological,
0: yeah. right? Halloween, but is it? But I think that's an interesting uh, divide between the psychological thriller and you know slash and and uh, you know gore and mm-hmm. and you know are they both horror? You know, do you you consider like a great psychological thriller horror because that's honestly what I would consider The Shining more than I would per se horror.
2: Hmm. Um, I've had I've had the discussion about what is and isn't horror before. To me, it comes down to <laughs> what what emotion is that film trying to evoke in in the viewer, right? So even mm-hmm. though Alien is a science fiction movie, technically the right. primary emotion that it's after is horror. So you know it's the thing good. the You're thing not. is another one where it's horror. I think mm-hmm. even though it's it's a very science fiction premise, um, but I see some I see someone asking about whether horror needs gore, and I think no. It does not. It doesn't,
0: right? Yeah. No. I think you so so if you don't have gore then, what's still kind of, you're saying the emotion that we're trying to evoke is horror. So mm-hmm. if you get horror from the audience, you don't necessarily need gore to do that, so long as they are horrified.
2: Yeah. I think the some of the most effective we were talking about the Invisible Man remake, some of the most effective moments in that film were wide shots that were just sitting there a little too long and you knew you're supposed to be looking for something, and you knew that something wasn't right in that frame, and he's doing nothing. There's not even like action happening in that frame, but you're just, he's, he has set you up to know, to feel that, you know, something's supposed to be happening. Something wrong is happening. And even if it never happens, you're still feeling it. You know what I mean? So I think that that's it, Horror, horror is about uh, the choices that a filmmaker makes to manipulate the viewer into a sense of, of uneasiness, terror and horror.
0: Yes. Uh, you know, that is so well said because I've always had an issue with the idea. Like I always said, if someone sneaks up behind me, and I don't know they're there, right? And they, they take two symbols and they crash them. They go, I'm gonna jump. you yeah. gonna get you scared the shit out of me. You, you got me, but mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not scared. I'm not right. fearful. I'm not leaving a theater and going like when I saw uh, when a stranger calls the original in the theater. I couldn't sleep that night. I still had landlines when the call mm-hmm. was coming from in the house. I was so horrified
2: that that could yeah. happen to me that I couldn't sleep. That's How- what I. What? How how could we ever convince a twenty year old how terrifying the sound of a landline phone ringing could be, right? Yeah, like those movies really use a Black Christmas, the first Black Christmas, yes. like when that phone would just pierce the silence, the ringing of that fucking landline yes. like that kind of stuff is amazing but that's the slow burn stuff too you know when you, you said the cymbal crash doesn't scare you it makes you jump but right. the if you if you sat down at a table and you were told in a restaurant you were told in 10 seconds or in 30 seconds or 90 seconds someone's head right. is going to explode <laughs> like yeah. 90 seconds of dread terror and fear because that you're absolutely right
0: that's that's horror. And that's, that's the difference. And that's why I don't need the symbols. That's why I don't need the big scares. Uh, Did you see, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but did you see the movie? I think it was 2018 or 19 about the kids who broke into the blind man's house and they end up trapped
2: in there. Don't, don't breathe. I believe
0: it was called. Yeah. Don't breathe like that Mm -hmm. to me. I mean, there was some gore in there, but that was real
2: psychological. Yeah. Yeah. And being trapped and contained. Like, did you like that one i did i thought it took a couple of disgusting turns toward the end with the the turkey baster and stuff but uh where he was trying to impregnate yeah it it was really horrible yeah
0: Um, i mean isn't that what you know i guess you have certain ones where you get ironic at the end right or you get somewhat campy
2: sure you know it it's it's uh we talked about how it's rare to make a good horror movie. I think it, that more specifically comes down is it's rare that they stick the landing. It's rare that they just nail it all the way to the end. And I Third think. Third act. Yeah. Um, and, and don't breathe was down to performance for me. I thought that uh, Stephen Lang was just fantastic in that movie.
0: I agree with you completely. And you know what I was thinking while we were, you are talking about the invisible man is that, you know, you mentioned the Kevin Bacon movie, right. That came out. He did an right. invisible man too, that I don't Hollow, believe. Hollow worked. Man. Hollow man. Yeah. And, Paul Verhoeven. Right. And it didn't work. I think it wasn't a, a hit. If yeah,
2: Jason I check that for us. He might. I mean, but, I remember it was not well received. I remember that I watched it. I, I, I don't too. remember. I don't remember much else about it. Sadly. <laughs>
0: that, that's kind of what I'm saying now. You know, but that was at the time also considered, you know, quote unquote horror. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. so it's a weird place we're at. But I, I do. So what do you think we're looking at down the road? You know, what do you think we're, uh, you know, in the next year or so, put aside, you know, Blumhouse uh, and theatrical slate
2: being pushed. Sure, sure. I I think that we are in a space and there's an article that uh, a writer named Julianne Stipidis wrote for Bloody Disgusting. And it's it makes a very strong case for how everything we're going through this year politically, the pandemic, lots of other things that we are. We've got a perfect storm happening for a the return of an evolution of the slasher genre. And I am not going to be able to remember it all here, but I would encourage anybody watching this to go find her article and, and read it on bloody disgusting. Um, because I think Great. she's right. And in fact, I, I'm kind of, I kind of know she's right. I've talked to a few <laughs> folks who are in the middle of production on things and, and pre-production on things. And I, 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 I think a slasher wave, which is, you know, uh, not not basic slasher it's kind of coming after the post ironic west craven scream slasher we're looking at a brand new wave of slasher that's going to kind of take it all into a new space
0: okay i don't want to detract from anything you just said though i was you say i'm wrong this is this is the thing about our show i am wrong a lot so hollow man was verhoeven's biggest hit since basic instinct
2: yeah doesn't mean it was good
0: no, no, no. <laughs> we just said was it a bomb? It was not. Right, right, you know, right. It, right. it was not a bomb. It was a huge uh, international success. It was just not memorable. Mm. Well, right? but okay. But uh, now, to not detract from what you just said, this new wave of slasher. First mm. of all, let's not even talk about our article. Why do you think that w- it's a, like slasher is going to be what resonates out of
2: um, everything? Well, I th- I think that you know the surface stuff alone. Uh, if you look at the 80s, if you look at what birthed the slasher genre, besides the commercial like reasons of ripping off a successful movie and stuff, the stuff that kind of fed into the zeitgeist of it was a very conservative environment, so a very angry, a very angry environment. Um, there were uh, massive health scares and problems with the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. Um, it's just, and you know, we had it there, and then it went away, and we had it back from the 90s, and then it kind of went fallow again for the 2000s. And I I think that the last thing anybody's going to want to see is pandemic horror um, in a year. Oh, you we, think so? Okay. Because I was, yeah. was going to ask you about that. You think people are no. not into this? No, we fucking live. We're living through it. Like, <laughs> we're good. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> we're good. Um, I want to see people running around in the woods outside. Um, <laughs> doing fun well, stuff there. Yeah. You're getting killed out, chainsaw. outside with other people. Um, but you know, j- and just what we know about what's in the pipeline, we know there are two mm-hmm. Halloween films in the works. We know that they're trying to sort out the Friday the 13th situation. And I think it's a fascinating sidebar about how, uh, bereft of an official release, the fans have taken over Friday the 13th and there's new Friday the 13th fan films coming out every couple of months. That's a whole this other incredible right? case study. Yeah. They just need, oh. they need their Jason. Um, <laughs> yeah, they just, they, they just put a 13,000 limited edition box set of the movies out of a chow factory and sold out in minutes. Of Friday the thirteenth. People want the slash again. The original or the whole, mm-hmm. the whole series? series. Twelve movies. Oh my. Yeah, so it's wow. so that's in the air. Um the the uh Fetty, Fetty Alvarez who did Don't Breathe, which we were just talking about, is producing yes. a Texas chainsaw film that's happening. A new Texas chainsaw again. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> if
0: Fetty's doing it, it, look if Fetty's doing it, I have to give it some credence, but I'm 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 obviously reticent to say that I'm I'm interested I'm in a,
2: another I drove I drove an hour that's, and a half to watch the last one in a theater.
0: The <laughs> one with Eric Balfour, the one that uh Michael Bay's no. company made? No, you're you're missing like four of them. <laughs> oh, there were four after that? <laughs> yeah. I know there was a Stephen Dorf one. Well, yeah, but that wait, was Leatherface. That's, and that's, that's a good the one. one.
2: That's the one Leatherface. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one they did. Mm. It was all right. I, listen, it was by French filmmakers. But didn't Toby Hooper have something to do with that Leatherface one? He got a check. Oh, okay. He was a a producer, you know, he was in, um, and they tied the check to the end of the boom mic. Nice. It was before. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm always in the bag for a chainsaw movie, but, um, we, we just know that there's a few in the pipeline right now. And, and I think that the, the climate, is uh lending itself to kill it. people Yeah, <laughs> want to slash it oh, up. god have you looked at twitter everybody's everybody's so pissed <laughs> off and i think it's because we're in our houses we can't go out nobody's fucking we're yeah. just That's angry it. and taught and, and and frustrated and we're so wear masks tearing each other to pieces on the internet for fun and profit um <laughs> yeah sure why not and like uh, some slasher films in the mix too. Like yeah, kill people that way
0: with really sharp yeah. objects and a lot of blood and pulp. But I mean, yeah. here one of our listeners is saying I've been rewatching Creepshow, the original, and that they love in that blend of slasher, gore, and psychological. I-, I do too. I love the original Creepshow. I mean, I love Tales from the Crypt
2: uh, and the HBO one. They did was HBO Tales from the Crypt. HBO was Tales from the Crypt, and right. and that's a that you no one's ever really. Oh, that I've read, except for me, uh, have called out Tales from the Crypt for like literally just taking the Creepshow idea. Creepshow was 82, right? Yeah, I thought they were connected. Like I thought they had to be an IP, like yeah, connected somehow. They, like a they got the idea. <laughs> no, so Tales Amazing. from the Crypt were these 50s comics, and then Creepshow was a riff on that, and it made a bunch of money. And then Romero and company did Tales from the Dark Side, which was a real low budget TV show and first run syndication. And then Spielberg and his buddies decided, oh, we should do this for real. And did Tales from the Crypt the series, so Zemeckis, Bob Gale, all those guys did Tales from the Crypt, but they all got the idea from Creepshow. And I agree, yeah, a, a, a really good anthology is um, is a is a treat. There's one on Shutter now called Scare Package. Uh huh. It's uh it's Scare uh, Package. Yeah, and it's very it's set in a video store, and 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 each one t- it's like a, a different filmmaker does each segment. I like that. Uh, it's very fun. And, uh, you know, the Creepshow series is going to be in, going on a second season on Shudder now, too. So yeah, anthologies uh, again, are in there.
0: Arquette was in the first one.
2: Ah. <laughs> he's my buddy.
0: But I always I follow everything. So it's nice. like, oh, we're talking more. And he lives in this horror genre. Yeah. He's won some fangs or something at a, at a thing. <laughs> and for one, so he's, he's in and he's got the Scream reboot coming out, which I think all of this is boding very well for. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that slasher, psychological, funny, I think creep show. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Scream has that.
2: Yeah. Uh, Scream, you know, Scream came past an age where I was like able to be part of it in a formative way. But I, mm-hmm. I I appreciated it and enjoyed it. There's there's a lot of writers that are a generation behind me that like grew up on Scream. And so it's it's their it's their Texas chainsaw. Right. And it means right. a lot to them, and they're and they're very excited about the new one, but they're also very trepidatious because Scream is the uh, is the uh, rare franchise that was all directed by one guy, and right, so and now he's dead. The Ready
0: or Not guys, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, do you think the Ready or Not guys are are the ones to take up this franchise for this new generation?
2: I wonder. I mean, I I enjoyed Ready or Not quite a bit. Me too i liked it a lot uh but you know the fan, fans are stubborn you know uh the fans are the ones who got cranky when uh when uh halloween 3 didn't have michael myers in it you know so uh You're preaching to the
0: choir when i uh when i rebooted the crow uh you don't know what we went through i mean i bet you do but i mean you know it, i never thought the movie was actually gonna get made because of it yeah You know, I mean, fans are, it's, it's a real thing. They can control an entire
2: universe of a movie or an IP. Absolutely. But, you know, I, one thing I've in writing about movies for the last 10, 10 or 12 years that I've noticed is that they're, they're easily convinced they're easily won over. They're, they're never won over by the initial announcement and they're vocally against it. And that's when the petitions start. And then the first teaser, you get a couple of them, but you get some haters, new haters. The first teaser, that second trailer is where they all fall in line. And they all go see it anyway. So does it matter? Right. Well, they go see it to hate on it. Yeah, exactly. So once you... they that
0: money they're spends. Like, oh, I want to see how terrible it is. I'm going to rip it apart. But I have to see it to do that. So, yeah. you know, I'm going to spend money. So yeah, that that is where we're at. But I, I mean, I do wonder with the Scream reboot if it's going to be... Because I, I personally would like to see that funny slasher, psychological trifecta more so uh, than, let's say, straight slasher for yeah. me. Because I mean... I don't know. Maybe I got older. Maybe I had a kid. Uh, you know, I'm like, oh, uh, that's a lot. Which is why I love something like Relic.
2: Yeah, I've got some real hardcore horror fan friends who just suddenly got real soft once they had a kid, and uh, I'm childless. But so I, yeah, haven't, well, I haven't been there yet. But right. It, it ch- and it's a weird thing. You
0: don't think it's going to. I've talked about this where you're like, oh yeah, they kidnapped the kid. It's a device. Sure, uh, the kid's going to be in danger. Then you have a kid, you're like, why are you touching the kid? <laughs> Kidnap the kid. I didn't want it to happen. Yeah, I didn't ask for it. Believe That's me, I'd rather just not give a shit. Yeah, right. So you, you see, Jason says his daughter is his horror movie buddy.
2: Uh, so very nice. nice. You
0: got to have a buddy if you're, you know. But again, you you look like the type of guy who likes to get
2: scared. I, 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 I'm not scared very often, but I love being scared. Um, Hereditary... Okay, wait, when me was up. the last time you were scared? Hereditary? Hereditary might be the last time. And I don't mm-hmm. know why. And it wasn't like a cause and effect. I didn't have nightmares about Hereditary, but I had nightmares the whole night after Hereditary. And uh, oh, that doesn't he, happen he anymore. He did. You, act, you had actual nightmares yeah. after seeing that. Yeah. I had the worst night's sleep of my life, I think, uh, after Hereditary. I don't know it- why.
0: I can. First of all, that's fascinating. Second of all, what I can tell you is that I can relate in such a way. I waited two years just to watch it. And then Mm -hmm. just just after seeing the trailers and Tony Collette, I mean, oh, and the daughter. And then I still had to watch it during the day. (laughs) I was like, I'm watching this during the day. If I watch this at night, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have too many of those. you know. Those are really kind of fewer and further between. And I, I'd love to see more, but I think it's it's a filmmaker's
2: medium. Yeah. And I think they, there's been a weird pivot in fandom in recent years where you don't hear horror fans talk about how a movie scared them. They talk about how a horror movie made them feel seen and about how a horror movie made them uh, feel comforted in their personal trauma and how, how it made them, like, it, it's a, a security blanket. And the horror family, and 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 folks are going to it for comfort more than to be rattled. And Romero talked about; he said there's two kinds of horror movies. There's one, there's ones where it's coziness and it's, and it's mac and cheese, and there's the horror movies that upset the apple cart. And so, Night of the Living Dead with its ending, its infamous ending, upset right. the apple cart. Right? That's not a right. comfortable horror movie. No. Uh, and Ebert talked no. about how he, he was watching it in a theater not full of kids and, in 1968. And, you know, the parents just dropped all these kids at the movie theater and and they went from being like giggling the and sort of days. scared to being just terrified when when the zombies are eating the intestines and stuff. <clears throat> and Ebert pointed out Night of the Living Dead as a, as a massive, you know, kind of pivot in terms of horror being something very comforting and safe to something that wasn't. And I think that those are the two kinds of horror films you get. But more and more in my dealings with horror fans and the horror community, it's it's about comfort and it's about. Uh, indulging in your favorite thing.
0: Hmm. So interesting. Also, though, I was thinking on a darker side, just because it's horror, you know, I wonder if horror films, you you say comfort, that's not something that resonates with me, but it's fascinating Mm -hmm. and and very interesting. So I'm wondering, as you were saying that, if if it's a way of, um, if it's sort of an alternate way of cutting, you know, so I feel comfort when I get scared. I feel mm-hmm. comfort when I see pain or feel so this way it makes my pain feel relatable. And now I feel something. So instead of cutting, I'm going to scare the shit out of myself or gross myself out. So then I feel relative.
2: Uh, I'm scared. in no way qualified to confirm. I'm that. not either. But it it sounds, I just it's it interesting. Sounds like it could track. It sounds like it could be a thing.
0: I, I mean, much. listen, it would be a great outlet as opposed to cutting, but let me not digress too far into that. Jason, are you around? I know you had some stuff you wanted to talk to Phil about. You wanted to ask him maybe about that, you know, upcoming thing. Can you hear him, Phil? I cannot. No, we both can't hear
1: you. you look You're muted. Great, there though. you go. You got a heart on your head.
2: There
1: Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. yeah look, look, you could see right through me if I just look closer. It's, it's Whoa. Very, very, scary. <laughs> I, go, I go all Mega Man on there. Um, I like it. No, um, I was curious if there's any new words on the. I know that the there's a there's a um, Evil Dead reboot in the in the works somewhere. I, I've heard about that. Bruce Campbell kind of mentioned something. Have you heard any new? I've news only heard on what you, that, I've only heard coming? what
2: you heard. Sadly, um, and it's it's uh, yeah. I I did not love the the new one, but a lot of folks did. So yeah. I don't even I don't even know if this new this new one that Bruce is talking about is he talking about it as, from a producer point of view, <clears throat> and he's and he's taking mm-hmm. it. I think I heard it's a whole new cast, and he's they're taking it out of the cabin.
1: Yeah, that's Hmm. what I heard too. That it's not going to be connected to that other reboot uh, uh, one in the cabin, and it's not related to anything that he's done. But I'm standalone. I love, yeah, I love the Evil Dead stuff. I think that's where I like. I like the gory, I like the gory comedy kind of stuff. I like the Trummet, you know, the Tromeo type stuff. You know, oh Sam Raimi does
2: it like nobody else. Drag me to hell was,
1: oh wait a minute, Drag Me to Hell is one of my favorite.
2: You uh, guys just said a, a horror movie for non-horror fans. Drag Me to Hell is not even R-rated. That'll take that somebody true? on a ride. Yeah, Wait, is
0: that true? Allison mm-hmm. Loman and, and, and Drag Me to Hell is not R-rated?
2: Yeah, there's an unrated Blu-ray, but you can get a PG version, uh, which is, played in, the- is played in theaters. Wow. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, that movie seems very R-rated.
1: It's very just wet, late- <laughs> but there's not a lot of blood. Ooh. Yeah, It's just wow. that lady yelling makes, makes it feel like it should be R, just which is, I'll destroy your soul! Yeah there you go
0: <laughs> all right well jason that's
1: uh, you're disappointed about evil that i know but uh i uh, think we gotta wrap this up what are you feeling uh, uh, yeah i love this conversation i mean i uh, when you guys are talking about the slashers all i could think of the irony of right now going outside is scary because you're afraid of the people that aren't wearing masks <laughs> uh, which is a very ironic thing right you're very afraid true. to get murdered by the people the people wearing masks are the people that are safe it's yep. the people that aren't they got to be afraid of right now we're gonna kill you. Wow. It is. It's a new kind of church. <laughs> it's a new world. Right. Well, Phil, I cannot thank you enough
0: for coming here today on Monday uh, and, and you know, talking to us about all this stuff. And please, please, please come back again. Uh, Thanks for having me anytime. you can. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Phil awesome. Nobile Jr. See?
2: Thanks, guys. I thank you, Phil. Right. All right.
0: Thank you, Phil. You Bye. bet. Bye see I got it right that was yes, such but he is in good company House, yeah. I get Bloomhouse, Blumhouse if you're very good at what you do I'll probably get your name wrong if it's not Smith uh it, it's yeah. just a thing you know Christiane Lemieux I got you know it took me a minute
1: can I what, say, what say this, and this is... say anything you want what say Phil Nobile more? oh well I was just thinking <laughs> I am just like when I imagined Phil like when I you know like the person who the editor-in-chief I just imagined um like a Captain Lou Albino beard with like rubber bands in it for some reason. Like I figured like in order to be the editor in chief, you have to have like individual strings of like uh Wolfman Jack beard coming down. And I was just really impressed at how clean shaven and clean cut it was. I was like, Going okay, okay I can do this. Jack again. It was a real surprise. <laughs> you went back to Wolfman Jack. I like it. Listen, I
0: Phil is an interesting, you know, and that's an interesting, interesting job. Look at you freezing with the thing on your head. I love it. This old computer is like very retro that you got going. For our uh, listeners, Jason's on this old computer. So, you know, all the, the blacks and uh, they're they're just, you know, glistening and fading and jumping. And then if he moves forward, there's like you can see a silver. You basically see right through his head. There you go. There's like a yeah. silver. It just, I'm a
1: very, he looks like a Terminator. I'm very eth- ethereal right now. I'm the ghost in the machine, literally. And I... <laughs> I, real quick, be, you know, we have to get going, but I wanted to show you something. That, Wait, we have to get back. going already? Yeah, we're, we're almost, almost done. done? Jesus. Uh, but I what wanted happened? to show you something because I thought this was really cool. You guys were talking about this, and I just wanted to pull this up for you. But you're talking about the LED walls of the Mandalorian. Yes. And, yes, and I just wanted to show you some of these pictures. Um, let me see if I can get this up a little bit. So while bigger. Jason's
0: pulling it up, it's like how the Mandalorian and ILM invisibly reinvented film and TV, and we're seeing these shots of the you know the soldiers, the Mandalorian, and you know the cast members, and then you're seeing all these virtual backgrounds that that look like high production value.
1: Now it's gone. Now it's back. Right. Okay. You know, Go ahead. Now you should see it again. So one other things I want to talk about, so all that stuff going on in the background, those are all video screens that are active. It, it reminds me of like old set paintings that they used to do, you know, where you just, you know, the painted yeah. backgrounds, but now these are all live and visible and moving. It's really interesting that it's these big rooms that are just, well, they have these you know, tarps this is a great... that are that
0: are clothes pinned. Yeah. You know, they look they look fastened to to, to clotheslines, and and they're just hung up. And then you know, they're walking on like a wood. Like they'll build a little bit of the dock that he's walking on, but really the dock looks eighteen miles long behind him. But it's just a sheet. This is fantastic. Yeah. That this is a yeah. viable way to make content
1: now. Yeah, it's crazy, right? This is it's a, it's a it's Ooh. beautiful. Wow. Um, You know, and so that's, you know, this is the old green screen way. And so you're superimposing from behind. Okay. So it said, uh,
0: no, I was going to read it. It said that it was giving the, the, the stats
1: of like a, Oh, there it is. It's called called stagecraft. Go ahead, Jason. Read it. Formerly called stagecraft. It's 20 feet tall, 270 degrees around and 75 feet across. Um, It's the largest, most sophisticated virtual field making environment. And it is because really what a green screen is is superimposing the same stuff. Now you're actually working in the set. You could see everything you could probably act better within this. Cause you're not acting against nothing. You know, but what's is this there only
0: in uh, uh, what is it? ILM uh, proprietary. Do I have to go to ILM to
1: use this? That's a good question. I'll, I'll do some research on that, but I do know that the, I think that this technology is available elsewhere. They just have done this for the Mandalorian and made this, thing you know made this kind of the first major it's release incredible. that utilizes it and this, this picture is beautiful scene. to me the desert scene yeah. you know this is yeah i assume they were shooting this all out the same place they shot like uh you know star wars and and uh you know phantom Menace and all that stuff i know this is all stage i
0: mean but look at this this is for the
1: baby yoda you know, uh, mm-hmm. episode, The Child, it says,
0: and, I mean, this is, this is a serious episode. You know, you, you're talking about a, an origin for Yoda, you know, for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, and they're still using the, the most stark thing you can imagine, and it looks, it looks like he's in the
1: middle of the Sahara. Yeah, It's the beauty of LEDs, man. The ability, You know, the, the higher density and the ability to control all the light, because that's what an LED really does, right? right. LED gives you a much denser like almost uh super dense kind of pixelation. So you can get like high, high 8k, 12k, 16k. And also every light can be individually brightened or lowered. So you don't have, your blacks are going to be true blacks. All your colors throughout the spectrum are going to be able to light individually. Um, and it wow. does a beautiful job. Yeah, this is incredible. All right. So we have a few minutes left. So let us just yep. a
0: little bit talk about some of the great stuff we watched over yeah, the weekend.
1: Yeah, let's let's pick one. I I if I okay. had anything I wanted to choose to recommend to anybody this weekend, the thing I enjoyed the most was Palm Springs. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's talk about Palm Springs because to me, it's
0: uh it's um <laughs> it's fantastic. This is a must watch film. Uh, laughing, upset, uh, crack cracking up, like laughing through the whole thing, but also disturbing. And uh, I mean, it's got. Uh, what's what's my favorite the guy's name jace uh, jake J- K- K. simmons yeah simmons? J K. simmons i mean yeah. of course playing roy who's his opening his entrance is oh. with the arrow i'm gonna kill you
1: i mean what'd you think i thought it was it was great i i mean it was really interesting to see the beginning of it and kind of recognize what they were doing at the beginning of that movie and go oh he's already been through this a little while you know yes like, which was yes. great With a great kind of twist on it. That was the biggest like, sort of
0: reason I felt they could go make Groundhog's Day again. Because that's what they said they were going to do and why no one's even tried to do this since the Bill Murray Mm -hmm. movie. And they said, no, no, no. This is about a guy who's already been caught in the loop for he doesn't even Mm -hmm. know how long. And we're going to watch him meet someone that gets stuck in the loop with him.
1: Yeah. I will say this. Um, There are two movies, and I don't know if Phil would actually really categories is this true horror, but the happy death day movies, there's two of them huh. that, uh, that play with the groundhog day horror. like she just keeps getting murdered every day till she finds her killer. And the sequel gets even more meta good, decent, decent versions of this. I think this is better, but I, but if you ever wanted to give a shot to a, a horror movie that was created in this field, happy death day and happy death day to you are great options. Hmm.
0: All right. Um, I actually might try those now, which I've avoided trying them because
1: they just look very schlocky. Like, you know, oh, we're going to put this together. What? Yeah, they're better. They're better than you think. I I did the same thing, but I I have a soft spot for like, like horror movies where like, Uh like even mainstream ones like that, you know, those ones that are a little higher production value, uh, but are meant towards probably a teenage audience and not a 43 year old man. They were, (laughs) they were fun. They were fun. Um, But this was was great. This circumvented a lot of that stuff. So you didn't have to go through the beginning with him, you know, and and bringing the girl, you know, bringing the girl and you also, you know, the rules were stated at the beginning and there was an expectation that you understood how Groundhog Day worked to watch this movie, which is good because everybody's seen it and everybody knows how a Groundhog Day movie should work.
0: Yeah, I had some some. Listen, there's nothing about this movie that's not a thousand percent enjoyable and it goes by real quick. And uh, it's it's I'm still thinking about it. Uh, you know, it's a larger discussion that maybe we could get into in another episode. But the uh, there are some rules of the world that I, you mm-hmm. know, had some some questions about, like he doesn't know he's in the loop. That loop exists in that box and everyone in it has no idea they're in it, except anyone who goes down the cave,
1: but then there's another dimension. So it's all based on the multiverse. Correct. Right. And we can leave something it there. to that. Extent. Yeah, we can leave it there, but we can get into it tomorrow. But I, I would say anybody who wants to watch that should watch it. And we'll talk about it a little deeper tomorrow and Wednesday. I love it. Okay. So we are done.
0: Another episode of stuck at home is in the book. So everyone stay safe, stay staying, stay strong. We'll see you soon. Jason Smith. I live in
1: the computer now. I love you all. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye bye.
2: A podcast network.